Welcome along to the Make It Count podcast. My name is David. My name's Matthew. And we are the Taylor Bros. Da 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 da. Oh, we're doing don't the know comedy edition. Sorry. Today. Yeah, I don't know why I did that. <laughs> so, episode 95, is that right? That's what I've got down. And so, uh, a listener, someone who regularly listens to our podcast, we think, has sent in. Um, a few questions to get us started today. So we thought we're going to give the whole episode to sort of some of these questions that they've asked. Um, Matt, you yeah. you received the the sort of yeah yeah. I mean, this is a perfect example of if you ask a question, you'll get an episode. Basically, um, <laughs> a friend asked um, if some thoughts on um, body image and self worth, and asked a few questions, and I said, "Great, that's that's interesting," and we're doing an episode on it. Um, so some of the questions were, you know, how do you make yourself comfortable in the body you live in? How do you keep fit without overdoing it? Um, and how do you make the best use of the tool um, that you were given to move around in the world? It's an interesting way of framing what a body is. I I mean, first note I would say is uh, check out episode 24 when we talk about raging against the fitness machine, we do touch on some of these topics um, and on the pitfalls of we're living in an aesthetic world where it's all about the the look, the physique, and it's not necessarily about the actual gains and benefits. So that maybe speaks to the, the fitness without overdoing it. And also it speaks to the, you might look at these bodies that you're seeing everywhere and go, that's unattainable. I can't achieve that. So you give up straight out of the door. Whereas actually, that's not what looking, that's not what physical fitness and maybe healthy looks like in reality. Yeah. So the question I found it maybe easiest to get some thinking done on was probably the second one. Like, how do you keep fit without overdoing it? Mm. I wonder, did you have some initial thoughts on that? I mean, absolutely. It was really interesting. Just this morning, I was going for a walk and I listened back to our episode that we did earlier in the year, um, Winter Walks. I believe that was, gosh, which episode was that? That must have been 73, you know, how to do winter walks. And it was brilliant because we were talking about that is an activity that is accessible to most people, right? It's low intensity. You can do quite a a long amount of walking if you want to, or you can do it little, but you're not likely to get injured. It has all these benefits. So one of the things when it comes to how to keep fit without overdoing it is to not overextend yourself to the point where you're getting injured. Or an axiom that you've told me a few times recently, David, is basically the um, the number one thing to remember when doing any kind of training or exercise is not get injured basically uh none of us are elite athletes if you're an elite athlete you're obviously aiming to get to a certain level but if you can avoid getting injured that means that you can train the next day uh but just last week i was playing competitive football you know, you know five-a-side league it's not like a high level but it's competitive and i got a massive dead leg what happened is i tried to tackle a guy and his knee went straight into my thigh muscle and immediately i knew that was that uh, was basically my game over. I hobbled off to the side and subbed myself off. That has basically meant that for the rest of this week, I've been unable to do the training I wanted to do. I could do some other bits and bobs, but I couldn't do any of the legwork that I wanted to do because I was injured. Mm. So avoiding injury is a really important principle, I think. Yeah. And I suppose 
the nature of the question, like you said, walking is a great way to just keep fit. And we, we've talked about that in the past. I suppose the nature of the question here, keep fit without overdoing it, makes me think that this person probably thinks they're overdoing it or they're at risk of overdoing it. You know, that, um, I, I don't think if somebody wasn't exercising, they're likely to ask this question other than that. Maybe I don't want to exercise in case I overdo it. Um, that's not your big risk at the moment yeah. Um, yeah yeah overdoing it doesn't count as i've raised a sweat that yeah. doesn't count as overdoing it so <laughs> so then i think it was helpful you know i, I got uh, my first class degree in sports science and you know i did a master's in sports psychology so mm-hmm. we covered some of this and i suppose many people see sort of the three the triangle of volume intensity and frequency as something yep. that can be really helpful and ultimately you should focus on two of them. So volume is your sets times your reps, effectively. So yeah. how many sets and reps are you doing? It's not in- how loud you have your music. No, exactly. But it's basically how much you do of it. Intensity, that's kind of more self-explanatory. That's how heavy, how fast, you know. Yeah. Um, and then frequency is how often. You're doing it two times a week, three times a week, five times a week, six times a week. And you can basically push on two of them, but you have to hold back on the other one. So for me, I have frequency pretty high. I'm doing five or six times a week, but I don't do especially high volume, but I do reasonable intensity, reasonably good intensity. So I'm doing like 10 or 15 minutes a day that allows me to, because the frequency is important to me, the habit of doing it every day. If I put the volume really high and the intensity really high, guess what happens? You overdo it and overtraining yeah. leads to you know fatigue you actually don't get better at performance you um you know so, so the injury like you said yeah absolutely i mean you told of uh when you went to the states and you were doing a a workout regime that you tried for a couple of months uh, i don't know actually if you you kept it for a couple of months but you were saying you were doing it basically every day mm-hmm. and you didn't give yourself rest days and so you just felt achy all the time. And yeah, going, that's not the goal of exercise. The goal of exercise isn't to feel pain all the time. Yeah, you know, there's like maybe feeling the burn whilst you're doing it. If you're doing a high intensity activity or you're doing some weights, but you don't want to be feeling that burn all the time. If you are, that is a sign in your in your body, in your muscles that you need to take a couple of days break in, mm-hmm. and, and plan those rest periods more intentionally. Yeah, it's ultimately a little bit disappointing, really, because what I would do is I go do 10 minutes of like skipping then I would do, I think it was like five pull-ups, 10 press-ups, 15 squats. And then I'd yeah. do that like 10 times or something like that. And quite a lot. Every day. And that's like a full body workout, like 10, yeah. 35 minutes. And like you said, I was achy all the time. I didn't get any stronger. Um, yeah. You know, you think you're getting stronger because you're putting all that effort in. But now like, and I did it for like three months. And three months remu- removed from that, you know, what time removed from that, I'm like, oh, yeah, it was all of that was basically wasted. You know, yeah. if anything, I probably got worse because my body didn't get stronger. So yeah. ultimately, that's that. It's a different way of thinking about it because we think like the more I do, the better, but that's not the reality. And there was a guy. Um, he was a international federation bodybuilder a number of decades ago, but he basically trained two hours a week, and he was a bodybuilding like professional. And he was like, "You don't need to do." five sets or three sets he was like you do one set of an exercise to nearly failure and that'll be fine and so um we can you know that's the risk of overdoing it the cost of overdoing it is you get tired 
But I think the bulk of what we want to talk about today probably is around maybe the first question, a little bit of the last question, but this sort of like self-image, the body we live in, how how are we comfortable in that? Yeah. One one more thing, though. I, I like the phrasing of the third question. How do you make yourself comfortable in the body you live in? Um, and we've spoken before about the the guys at GMB, Gold Medal Bodies, and their, their whole thing. Again, it sounds like a really pretentious title, but their whole thing is a gold medal body for a mum of two might look very different from a gold medal body for a sporting um, athlete who's trying to do this. But it might literally be you want to be able to stand up off the ground without using your hands because you've got two people in your hands, you know. And so being comfortable in your body, for me, part of the last couple of years has been doing a little bit more flexibility training. Uh, and it's not just about like, being able to do the splits, but it's being I'm I'm less achy in some of the aspects I had grown achy in because mm. I'm now in a more sedentary job, you know. So being comfortable in my body literally is I don't have those aches because I've been doing a little bit more work, you know, my movement and flexibility. Yeah, you have different aches like in the thigh where you get need after playing football. But yeah, well, no, yes, hundred percent. So. With with a bunch of these questions, I, you know, as the coach, want to ask follow-up questions. Mm. What do you mean by overdoing it? Or what does overdoing it look like to you? You know, what sure. does what does comfortable mean for you? Because like you said, there's the one aspect of, hey, I actually I just need to be able to move my arm like this, or you know, I want to be able to walk in a certain way without my, you know, this bit hurting, or you know, what is comfortable? Is it the physical thing or is it maybe the more the way we're looking at it? Um it maybe this will hit a bit more broadly, but like how you view yourself. What um, yeah. are, you, are you satisfied with with what you look like and how you feel about what you look like? Um, yeah. And is that the comfort we're talking about? You know. Uh, and so there's some interesting ideas about that. You wanted to kick us off with that, I think. Absolutely. So I think one of the things that's important when it comes to you know how are you how do you make yourself comfortable in the body you live in? If there's an aspect of I feel uncomfortable because I maybe feel like I should be a different way. It's inescapable. Uh, the fact that we live in the world we do, we live in a media saturated culture and the messages that we receive from that are ingrained in us. Some of the research that I came across, and this is spurred from some of the listening of other podcasts I've done, but basically that they've found, and we can put a couple of links in the show notes, but different studies have, have, have looked into people very young and specifically uh, targeted uh, research towards girls because it seems to be a, a major issue. I'm sure boys get this as well. But effectively, there was some research that they did a few years ago, back in 2015, I think it was, at Knox University. They literally gave them a couple of different kinds of dolls. One was dressed up in sort of trendy clothing, but maybe a little bit more loose fitting. And the other one was the quote unquote sexy doll with tighter, you know, more alluring clothing. And they asked them a whole load of questions. And, and a couple of the key findings they came out with was seven out of 10 of the girls. So this is aged six to nine. So it could be younger, but they, that was the limit of the girls in the study. Wanted to look like the sexy doll, seven out of 10. And again, seven out of 10 said that the sexy doll was the more popular of the two. Those were two key findings. And they're going, these are girls, that are pretty, you know, they, they're not even in adolescence. They're not even out of... Um, you know primary school in the uk or what we maybe pre um what's the word i don't know what the the first school is in in the elementary states but school. elementary that's exactly elementary school and they have already imbibed enough messages that 
popularity is linked with sexuality or sensuality in the way that you appear and are you attractive physically and that's the desirable option for them now there's there's something i came across when i was doing some research that might help frame this conversation Mm. um which was just the idea that we have a self-image how we think about ourselves how we view Mm. ourselves we have an ideal self and then we have our real self and how sometimes those three can be vastly different you know how we view ourselves they they, you know they say when you look in the mirror that isn't necessarily how you actually are because you might highlight in on the real flaws uh, and only see the bad bits about yourself and so your self-image is largely like a negative experience because you just see that this part is too big or too small or this bit isn't good enough and that bit isn't and so we have this self-image but then we also have our ideal self you know this picture of who we want to be and I think that's a little bit about what you're talking there we can come back into that of like well what influences the things that put this ideal image in our head and are they even real and then yeah. we have our real self, which is actually who we are. And that that can be something very different. And so they talk about the sort of, uh, was it a Venn diagram almost? It's like, how congruent are those selves? Uh, you know, is our self-image really close to our ideal self? Or is it really far away? Is it really close to our real self? Or is it really far away? And if it's close, you're going to feel more congruent. You're probably going to feel healthier in who you are. Whereas if it's really far, you're going to be dissatisfied. You're, and then there's all sorts of links, you know, to depression, to, you know, feel, actually you're more likely to be overweight or feel down and these sorts of things. So I think those images in our head are often not really clear. Yeah. But they are there. I do have a view of myself, even if I couldn't like articulate it. And I do have an ideal self, even if I couldn't like crystal clear, like articulate it. And there is a real self. There's probably not quite either of those things um, Mm. where I've got blind spots in certain areas and I've overemphasized other areas which aren't necessarily important. What's your thinking about that? I think that's a very helpful framing. And um, there's something that uh, the girl guides in the UK have been doing every year, basically polling um, pretty much all their members. And they're from seven to 21 year olds in, in these polls. And a few things that I found um, comparing different years and the, the attitudes. So again, basically what we're looking at here is are the, what the one of the key findings was, are you satisfied with your appearance? Girl guides in the UK. And I think this here is that comparison that's going on in the head between the ideal self and the self-image, right? That's probably what's going on. And the real self is probably somewhere in between those two, but the self-image is probably lower down. So in 2011, 73% of 7 to 21-year-olds reported being, you know, reasonably happy with their appearance. When 2016, that decreased down to 61%. And in 2022, um, they then divided it out into different groups. So seven to 10 year olds, that was 42%. And 17 to 21 year olds, it was only 10%. So that is satisfaction with how they appear. Mm-hmm. And I think that shows a trend of increasingly dissatisfaction with their self image of what they believe they are compared to this idealized image. And, you know, basically, this is because partly they're reckoning. This, the saturation of what, what what's happened since then. So if you think about, it used to be, you know, 
TV and films and magazines. But now it's even more, it's just proliferated all over social media. And and someone else was saying, Dr. Caroline Heldman, who is a, a researcher, I can't remember which university, but the way she said it is they're profiting off of our pain. The bigger the gap between where you are and where you think you need to be, you know, that the, the idealized self-image, the more money they make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that that's one of the interesting things. Well, there's lots of things that are interesting. I mean, I found one study and it, it was referenced, but I, I didn't look into the details. But it basically said a study conducted on women said three out of four said they were overweight. Only one of four actually was. Wow. So there's like, you know, we all think we're overweight, but actually only mm. this much smaller number. And that's that incongruence. That's the the real self versus the ideal self. And and I suppose this is where you have that tendency. And I suppose where I've come to land is, is that kindness is really important. Now, there are things that are unhealthy about how we, you know, some people are very unhealthy in, in how they're living, for example. But actually, when you... S- think more positively about yourself and you're more kind, you're more likely to be helpful, uh, healthy even. So they were saying higher body dissatisfaction is associated with a poorer quality of life, psychological distress, and the risk of unhealthy eating behaviors and even eating disorders. Whereas body satisfaction and appreciation has been linked to better overall well-being and fewer unhealthy dieting behaviors. And so if... And that, that's really difficult because if that image of your ideal self is so far away from where you are, it can be almost ingenuine to go, well, I'm really happy with where I am right now. Mm. <laughs> if you're if actually your ideal. And so you have to do something of like bringing that in, but also a kindness, because actually out of the kindness and empathy towards yourself, that is actually going to help you move better than the, the whip of criticism. Hugely. Absolutely. And this brings me uh, to mind of some of the stuff I've read from Jay Stringer's work um, when it comes to just unwanted behaviours, specifically in the um, unwanted sexual behaviours realm. And his research basically found that often the story that is told in um, in that space, in addiction space and everything, is that the reason we go to certain behaviours, be it, you know, food, be it um, buying things, be it stuff to do with um, sex, is is because we want to meet a need, we're trying to soothe our pain, right? What he said he found from researching thousands of people was actually there's a there's an underlying current going on. Part of it is repeating a narrative we believe about ourselves already. So he said, we know going into the experience that afterwards I'm going to feel worse, I'm going to feel more shame, I'm going to feel the, basically crap about myself. And he said... The, the the underlying current that the the really deceptive or the really just the real evil thing about it is actually that's a self-destructive behavior because we are trying to reinforce the be the belief we already have about ourselves so going back to what you were saying the kindness to self the kindness to self isn't about going i'm going to delude myself i'm going to say i'm really happy with how my body is if i'm not or i'm healthy when i'm not it's not about trying to self-psych yourself up but it's about going if you start to treat yourself with kindness and compassion and understand some of these behaviors that I've got into, and also just some of the beliefs about what a healthy body is aren't accurate. Mm-hmm. And who I am isn't determined, you know, my value as a person isn't determined by how my body is, and start to treat yourself with a bit of compassion. What that allows you to then do 
is get rid of some of those unhealthy and untrue beliefs about yourself, which then means you're less likely to go to those unhealthy behaviors when it comes to food, when it comes to activity, when it comes to X, Y, Z. And therefore, you're likely just naturally to move in a more healthy space. And then you will feel better in your body physically and mentally. So it's not like the silver bullet, but there is an aspect of if you start with kindness, then other things will start to follow. Well, exactly. I heard this sort of example on Finding Mastery podcast. And the guy that was the female that was being interviewed, she just sort of said this example, and I'll use it now, but... Matt, if I started just like criticizing how you were doing this podcast and saying, actually, I didn't think that was very good and you're not really great, you would start getting like angry right now. Like you would be like, what are you doing? I'm going to end this podcast then. I just won't be here anymore. You know, you wouldn't want to be with me and I'm your brother. And we've been, you know, for your whole life, you know, you've been my brother and we've been friends as well. But if I just started criticizing you right now, yeah. You wouldn't want to spend any time with me. <laughs> not, not, not immediately. <laughs> yeah. And, but if I continually did that, you definitely yeah. wouldn't want to spend any time with me. And yet many of us spend our entire time like criticizing ourselves, like you yes. should be better. You sh- you've fallen short. And so, well, you don't want to spend time with yourself. Yeah. So I think that was just, a, that was a really helpful framing for me. I suppose to come back to the question, how do you make oneself or yourself comfortable in the body you live in? It depends. What's making you uncomfortable and what does yeah. comfort look like? If it is it the difference between the ideal self and the real self or the ideal self and your self-image? And I think the thing you touched on, we've talked about in previous episodes, is we have to be really careful about how that ideal self is formed. Because most mm. of us have not intentionally sat down and been like, my ideal self is this physically, mentally, emotionally. Mm. No, we just have this image in our head of what the ideal self looks like. And yeah. as you've alluded to, that's from the media, that's from the things we consume, that's the things we see around us, our family, our environment. And many of the things we see are ultimately not real. You know, the the images in magazines have been <laughs> photoshopped many times. The things we see on TikTok and Instagram, there are all sorts of effects, more invasive and otherwise, that get the best possible image to the almost unrealistic level. And we talked about fighting against the fitness machine, that idea of even some people taking performance enhancing drugs and that being therefore an impossible ideal self to reach to. And we can know that, but still kind of have that as our goal. And so it's really important to sort of filter through, well, what is my ideal self? But maybe it isn't that, maybe it is. Actually, what's comfortable is I do some more stretching, so that I can bend down and pick up the shopping. And that's also it. But I think it really is helpful in these things to just go a level deeper. What is comfort? What is uncomfortable? And I suppose Mm. the last thing is, how do you make the most of the tool you were given to move around in this world? And again, to that, I would say, it depends. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? What's your needs? What's your wants? Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, the, the thing that's being raised in my mind as you're talking about this is um, going back to uh, Stephen Covey or Stephen Covey's Seven Habits and the second one, begin with the end in mind. And you're, I, I like that you're saying, actually, probably most of us haven't sat down and thought about, hey, what is like my ideal body? Actually written it down. That would be a really interesting um, exercise to do, perhaps to go, what's what's my self-image? What's my ideal 
self. And then actually maybe to get an idea of what the real self is, you maybe have to ask some people that are close to you mm-hmm. and, and to get a third party, third party pers- uh, perspective. But then to also tie it into at the end of my life, you know, what do I want to have achieved? How do I want to have lived? And how does then my body come into that? So, for example, you spoke about the um, the school of calisthenics. Now, the um, movement, play, strength, and play movement, strength, and play podcast. And the the vision for him was: when I'm a granddad, I want to be able to go skiing with my grandkids. For him, that has given a a, a real key image for this is what it means to be comfortable in my body and to look look after that tool. I need to be able to do that when I'm seventy or whatever. Mm-hmm. The, if you don't have that vision it's going to be really difficult to answer the question, as you said, like, how do you make the most of the tool? Yeah, exactly. And that that affects your timeline. If your timeline for you is, how do I make the most of this? I want to be a bodybuilding champion. Well, then maybe that winds it right back in. And the next five to 10 years are going to be super intense. It's going to take a lot more of control of how you're eating, training, like, you know, that has to be a huge, whereas if you said like it, when I'm retired, when I'm 60, when I'm 70 years old, I want to be able to move freely and walk Mm -hmm. and look comfortable. Well, that that's different. Both of that. And so ultimately, what do you want? What do you need? What are the demands of your environment? And I suppose digging into that can be really um, very valuable. Absolutely. I think that's a good way to to finish. As with any good coach, you've just thrown out way more questions than uh, and answers. So we've given people th- stuff to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, when I was reflecting on this, I know you said we're going to wrap up, but I just wanted to say uh, it was quite interesting for me to realise that probably my self-image and my ideal self are probably not that far apart. I think I'd like mm. to be, you know, slightly bigger muscles and, you know, lose a little bit of weight and, you know, a bit more... Uh, a bit few inches fat. taller well i've I've come to peace with that one um but Not much you can do about that but ultimately i was also like i quite like sweet things i enjoy cake and biscuits and and chocolate and so that's the trade-off and so i might not quite in those moments when i'm looking at the mirror be quite where my ideal self is but the rest of my life i'm like i did quite enjoy those four biscuits i ate today and that's okay I even rounded down. I actually had five. Um, yeah, brilliant. It's it's very easy to eat a lot of biscuits if they're around. Exactly. So, so there you go. I hope that was a, a valuable insight for you as we were wrestling with some of these. As I said, I would have liked to ask more questions to get into that because I think that's where the, mm. the insights happen. Um, but that idea of your self-image, your ideal self and real self, really dig into that take some time to ask yourself what those things are for you because that that could operate and open up uh, a helpful avenue and a more healthy way to think about how you who you are and how you're showing up excellent see you guys next week <laughs>